Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey, Playmakers, this is Ashley. And this is Brittany, and we are More Than a Season podcast. Welcome back. Welcome to our community. We know that you have a lot of choices, so thanks for choosing us, and we're happy that you're here, and this is another episode that we are excited to share with you. Brittany and I are huge advocates of going to therapy, getting mental health counseling, anything that can help you in this industry, and we are very open about our journey. We are. I know that we've shared multiple times, you know, going to therapy, and I have shared that I struggle with anxiety and have struggled with it for a really long time, and I actually just started taking medication about three months ago, which was a really hard transition for me to personally have to like, I want to say break down, but it's not break down, but you know, take medication daily because I think it's just such a hard thing to kind of have to battle through. But it's really, really helped with my anxiety and I can overall see like a change in my daily mood. And so I think it's just so important for us to realize and to communicate to everyone like it's okay not to be okay and it's Mm -hmm. okay to do the things that you need to do to make yourself a better version of you. Yeah I think that with me going to therapy and my sessions it really just helps me to stay balanced and I feel like even if I go in there and I'm just chatting about my week or thoughts that I've had or things that I'm working through it really just helps me to be more well-rounded. So I think that you can have any reason to go to counseling therapy, whatever it may be that works best for you. But we encourage it just because once you take that step, I feel like it just helps you so much. It can help you personally, it helps Mm -hmm. your home life. It just helps your overall day to day. And we are big advocates about that. In our episode today, uh, we're tying in mental health. Sadie is so, so sweet. Y'all will get to know her. And she really dives into her own journey with depression and anxiety and how she's overcome all of this and uses her platform to help others. And she is only 19, which is incredible. It's so crazy. She has gone through a lot in the past few years and she dives into kind of everything that she's been through and things that you as maybe a parent can see in your children if there's signs of struggle and maybe things that you can do to help kind of alleviate some of those stresses that come with being a teenager and if you remember back to being a teenager I know for me it was a long time ago but I remember I was like (laughs) you know so like moody and my mom and I fought all the time and it's just like to hear her perspective of like things that she would have liked to have in her home I think is really important for those in our community that are raising little ones to kind of set those communication standards so that they don't have to struggle through things that maybe other teenagers do. Yeah and with the kiddos that you are bringing into this sports industry we know that a lot of anxiety comes with that because you want everyone to turn out okay with all of the different environments and going and moving and doing all that. So we are excited to share this episode with you. And so we'll see you on the other side. Welcome back for another episode. It's our favorite time of the week. It is. We love having new guests on and this one is really special to us. We have been dying to have her on for a long time. Met her in our podcast accelerator course. 
just love everything about her. So I'm going to toss it on over and let her introduce herself. So I'm Sadie. I'm a 19 year old from the Bay Area, and I just finished up my freshman year at the University of Pennsylvania, where I'm studying psychology. And we'll dive into this, but I went through like this whole giant mental health journey when I was a freshman and sophomore in high school and ended up doing a year and a half of intensive treatment for depression and anxiety. And so at the tail end of that, I started a podcast also, hence <laughs> how we met all about teen mental health and preventative mental health measures you can take and dialectical behavioral therapy. And so I'm super passionate about mental health and I can't wait to have this conversation today. Yes, mental health is such a big topic and it's not talked about enough. And, you know, we just went through Mental Health Month, which is May. I think it's it should be talked about every single month, not just in May. And so I kind of want to go back a little bit, if you don't mind, talking about how you originally realized that you were going through these issues that you went through with mental health. Like, what was the first step? Yeah, so it's interesting. A lot of it is like hindsight's twenty twenty, and I can kind of put together like what belief systems were at play, what relationship dynamics didn't help, where did I go wrong? But in the moment, I just felt so overwhelmed and isolated. There was a lot of confusion because the first time I was ever hospitalized and like got intensive treatment for depression, I was 13. So prior to that point, there wasn't a lot of like education or even media awareness of these things. I had a grandfather who struggled with bipolar, but other than that, it wasn't like I had friends that had struggled or a sibling. So I was like, I have no idea what's going on, Mm -hmm. but it definitely doesn't feel great. And because it slowly progressed during my teenage years and I already didn't remember a certain portion of my childhood, it really just felt like this was my normal, like this was my baseline and that wouldn't shift. Like I had no reason to really think that I wasn't meant to always be depressed. I could understand that other people weren't suicidal. They weren't depressed. They weren't always feeling overwhelmed and exhausted and frustrated and like all at a loss with what they were feeling. But I thought that was just how I worked. Like that's mm-hmm. how my mental health always was. And it was how it was always going to be. So my parents started to notice that I was struggling with a lot of basic things, whether that was like sleep. I was super isolated from them. Like I was in my room 24 seven didn't want to engage with them. I would get in the car and think, how was your day? And I'd think, I'm fine. And then I would ignore them for the rest of the ride. Mm-hmm. Whenever they tried to have a conversation, I really shut down. I didn't want to say anything. We didn't really have an open line of communication, especially relating to mental health. In addition, I had started to struggle with schoolwork. So I would either like not really be engaged or I would go like 110% and come home from school and work on assignments for like 10 hours to distract myself and try to avoid what I was experiencing. My sleep was very disrupted. I struggled to maintain a consistent diet. I was doing a lot of restricting. Exercise really wasn't something that was at play at that point, but really like all these basic habits Mm -hmm. that you think of that allow you to thrive and stay balanced and effective were falling apart. And so they knew something was wrong. And so my mom was really the one who gets the credit here with Mm -hmm taking ownership, making the appointments as it is a lot of the times. So we went to my pediatrician and we were like, what's going on? And he asked all those typical questions like, have you lost interest in things you used to enjoy? Do you have low mood? Is your sleep disrupted? And every single thing he said, I was like, yes, yes, yes. And it felt so relieving to almost hear someone put labels to these things that I was experiencing because Mm -hmm. it was this weird cluster of symptoms that I didn't understand to be depression. Again, I just thought it was like my normal functioning, which was really ineffective, Mm -hmm. really exhausting, really overwhelming. I, I was suffering. And so 
he said very blankly, he was like, okay, so you're definitely very depressed. Your mom made an appointment later today for a psychiatrist and you either go to that or you're going to spend some time in the hospital because there was no open line of communication. No one had any insight into what I was feeling, what I was experiencing, whether I was having urges, the degree to which I was feeling depressed, how I was coping with that. And so that was a kind of dangerous situation to be in, especially as a parent. And so I ended up going to a psychiatrist appointment, totally emotionally shut down, didn't say anything during that entire appointment. I do remember she had me like draw a pie chart of my feelings. And I think I was like sad. She was like, okay. <laughs> So we drove to the emergency room and I spent like seven or 10 days in the hospital, really just starting to make that first step of just Mm -hmm. starting to treat the depression. And that was like getting me out of my situation. So I could kind of like lift the intensity of the emotion and then be able to go back and engage in therapy and intensive outpatient. And so I started taking medication. I started working with providers. And so that was um, around like February of my, uh, my eighth grade year. Of middle school. And I ended up having four more hospitalizations. I tried everything you can imagine on an outpatient basis. If you are a parent that is navigating this, you'll, rec- you'll recognize these terms, but like intensive outpatient group therapy, family therapy. I did DBT on an outpatient basis. I had inpatient stays. I was doing psychiatrist appointments regularly. So really tried everything. And there wasn't a huge shift in my mood. And I have three younger siblings. So this level of treatment that I was trying to get at home was really throwing everyone for a loop. Like Mm -hmm. I was constantly driving to all these appointments. There was all these blow-ups that were happening between me and my parents. I struggled to regulate my emotions. And so I was really the identified patient of the family. And it was difficult for anyone else to be able to like function effectively because there was so much chaos and intensity of emotion happening there. So during my freshman year of high school, it became kind of clear that like, we got to try something else or things aren't Mm going to change. And so my parents researched intensive treatment programs, specifically residential programs that help teenagers with depression and anxiety. And they found this amazing program right outside of Boston called Three East and it's at McLean Hospital. McLean is the number one psychiatric hospital in the country. And it was, it's a phenomenal program. They help teens with, like I said, depression, anxiety, some people that are like on track or have a borderline personality diagnosis, really a lot of like emotional dysregulation, struggle with relationships, struggling with urges, suicidality. That's like what they specialize in. And I went in suicidally depressed, really at rock bottom, struggling with every aspect of my life. And I was able to leave 14 weeks later, no longer suicidal. I was able to Mm -hmm. cope with my depression. And when I woke up in the morning, I wasn't immediately depressed. Maybe I'd have moments, but it was nothing like it was before. And I understood my anxiety enough to be able to cope with it, to be able to work through the emotions that came up rather than just like avoiding and suppressing. And I started to have a relationship with my parents, which was huge because again, the beginning, one of the biggest challenges was not having that open line of communication because it Mm -hmm. made it again, a very dangerous, like difficult situation when no one had any insight into what was going on. So I did 14 weeks there. After that, I did 14 months at a therapeutic boarding school, kind of maintaining that progress that I had made. And then I came home, did my junior and senior year of high school, started the podcast and continued to maintain the mental health progress that I had made. And so since that initial point of entering treatment, I haven't been 
meeting the criteria for struggling with depression or anxiety. And I feel really in control of my mental health. I know how to cope with emotions as they arise. I know how to set myself up for success. I know what routines allow me to be successful. I know how to advocate for help when I need it. And so it's just a complete 180 from where I was when I went into treatment, where I was like, I am going to be depressed forever. I didn't think I deserved help or support or treatment. I didn't think that it was going to work. Like I looked all of these phenomenal world-class clinicians in the face and I was like, you're not going to help me. <laughs> They're like, okay, Sadie, like, you know what you're talking about. Currently, we have seen so many worse yeah. cases. Like this is not even, you are the typical like depressed girl that comes in. We can help you. Right. I was like, okay. <laughs> and had that shift where I then became like an active participant in my treatment journey. Whereas before I was like going through the motions, mm-hmm. I was like showing up to appointments, but I didn't believe I could get better. I didn't really want to get better because when I look back at those years of eighth grade freshman year, when I was having all these appointments and inpatient stays and and suffering and struggle, I was getting validation. I was getting acknowledgement that I was struggling and that's what I wanted. I wanted someone to see that I was in pain. I wanted them to acknowledge that it wasn't normal and that it wasn't okay and that they saw that. And I, I struggled to get that effectively. The other thing that I can pinpoint from that time period was the belief systems that allowed me to get there. And so going up to the point when I started to be really depressed, I was operating by a few belief systems. One was that I believed that I wasn't worthy of love, which Mm -hmm. every single human is. Everyone is capable of being loved. They can love other people. No matter who you are, as soon as you're born, you are deserving of love. And that's just how we operate as humans. And it's essential for us to be okay mentally to experience love. And so I didn't believe I deserved that. My self-esteem really, really struggled. I didn't think I would ever be good enough for my parents, which really added to that like barrier of asking Mm -hmm. them for help because it was like, this almost feels like a weakness. How can I possibly ask them for help if I'll become even less deserving of being good enough for them? And then, like I mentioned, I didn't think that treatment would work for me. I thought I was just destined to be depressed. This was how my brain, my body, my mind worked and that this was just how my life was going to go forever. And so those belief systems had me operating in a way that was constantly looking for reasons I wasn't lovable or able to get better or why I would be depressed for the rest of my life. And so that very quickly got me into a very dark place. And then as I tried to get validation and support for how much pain I was feeling, I coped ineffectively, made things worse for myself. And then the the need for treatment arose. But yeah, did treatment after that, shifted a lot of those belief systems, learned coping skills that really did change things, started to have a relationship with my parents, and then was able to come home and live like a normal teenager and have mental health that wasn't dictating my every single day and act and decision. And it really was able to take a back burner because it wasn't constantly like in crisis mode. Mm -hmm. Okay. First off, y'all, everyone that's listening right now, she is 19. (laughs) And I just want to make note of that because I don't think half of the adults we could explain what you just did and I just a lot of therapy (laughs) I just think it's incredible and it's just such a great perspective that you shared in your experience so thank you I am just kind of like speechless because I'm thinking of myself at 19 and just every I know everyone goes through different journeys and the way that they're affected by mental health and experiences but for you to from that age of 14 is that what you said 14 13 the first time I was hospitalized, which yeah. I was terrified. Like that yeah. was not a fun experience. I, yeah. I got the help that I needed, but it definitely 
was not your normal like tween becoming a teen experience. Yeah, so 13 to 19, that is a lot of years of growth. And I know that that's where, I mean, it's really where you figure out who am I wanting to be? Like, who am I trying to fit in? And so I just... I think that that's just incredible. And you left me kind of speechless there for a second because I just kept reminding myself, I'm like, oh my gosh, you've already figured out through therapy and resources that you can be okay and that there is a positive on the other side. And with that, what are some key learnings? I know that you said you learned coping skills and ways to just get in front of that emotion before it took over you, I guess is the right Mm -hmm. explanation. Mm -hmm. So what are some key learnings for parents that they can apply in their household to kind of help their children with these early stages of coping? Yeah, so mental illnesses, I like to say mental health challenges, because even though it's estimated that the majority of adults in the United States will struggle with a mental illness at some point in their lives, it's like 75%, which is insane. So people that don't are really the minority. I like to say mental health challenges, because not everyone will necessarily like meet the criteria of like, oh, their depressive symptoms lasted three weeks, not two weeks. And it's like, all that nitty gritty really like isolates people. It adds to the stigma almost. Whereas the emotions that underlie that are what everyone experiences, the belief systems, the thoughts, feeling like I'm alone, no one gets this. What can I possibly do to shift this emotion? Feeling isolated, feeling helpless. Everyone has felt that at some time. And if the skills that work for someone that's like suicidally depressed in an inpatient hospital, if that works for them, it will absolutely work for the person that's having a tough day, that's feeling like they don't want to get out of bed, that's like, I just am in such a rut, I don't know what to do. So that's the first thing to say is that mental health challenges are are really universal. And for parents, it's important to note that they are childhood disorders. The majority of mental health challenges, I want to say it's like, I'm totally going to get this wrong, (laughs) but I want to say it's like 50% by 18, 75% by age 24, something around those numbers. That's when mental illnesses develop. And so a lot of your, your childhood experiences are what lead to adult mental health challenges. And so there's so much that you can do in your childhood and with your kids to set them up for success and prevent that from occurring. And so it's a really beautiful thing. And it can also be kind of scary as a parent. Oh, there's a lot riding on this. What can I do? But for parents, there's, there's a couple of things. I think one thing that I struggled with, with my parents was that open line of communication. Mm -hmm. And I felt like when I would go to my parents and ask for help, I always think of like with my mom, whenever I go to her with things, she's gotten so much better with this. But when I would complain about something, she would like immediately give advice. And I always never wanted advice from her. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes I would, but most of the times I just wanted to vet. Yeah. So that's one of the first things is to anytime your child comes to you with any kind of emotional message or feeling overwhelmed, any kind of venting is to treat it like they are coming to you, like they are super depressed, struggling, like respond to them in the small moment, like you would when they're in crisis mode, because then if they are in crisis mode, they know what to expect. You've had that effective interaction and they feel safe saying like, Hey, I'm not okay. I think I need help. So that means validating them saying like, I see that you're not okay. Like I see that you're struggling responding back to them, what they're saying. So if they're like, I'm feeling so stressed with school being like, you seem so overwhelmed. Like you are balancing a lot right now. Like, I'm so sorry you're dealing with this. And the important part about validation is that you don't have to agree with the behaviors or the actions. So maybe your kid, like, I don't know, snuck out and came back like way after curfew. You don't have to agree with that, but you can be like, 
yeah, like I can see you really wanted to go out. And I said, no. And that must've been really frustrating. You're not like saying that it's okay that they did that, but you're at least like acknowledging the emotion there and creating space for them to feel that rather than being like, that's not okay that you wanted to do something that I said wasn't okay or that you felt frustrated. So in any situation where they are bringing an emotion to you, try and create space, try and validate, always ask if they want advice, I think is a really small thing that you can implement. Be like, yeah, that's like really challenging. Do you want advice or do you just want to like complain about this? Mm-hmm. And they'll probably be like, I just want to complain. And you're like, okay. <laughs> and then you let them complain. And that that really allows them to feel like you are creating space for their emotion. You are like respecting their needs as they ask for them, but really keeping that line of communication open and helping them feel safe and okay coming to you and asking for help when they need it. Other things, I think it's important to note that when I started getting treatment, I was really in like crisis mode. And so all of the resources I was utilizing and strategies I was implementing were almost to make Like it was almost like damage control. It was Mm -hmm. like, I have to not cope with this in a way that will make things worse. Whereas a lot of teenagers are in a position where it's like, how can I just set myself up for success and continue to improve my mental health rather than like damage control, let's not make this worse. So if you are in a position where you're like, how can I make this better? And it's really like a maintenance phase part of mental health. There's so many things you can do. I think routine is a really big one. And this is almost easier for kids before they go to college because you have these things structured throughout your day, which is like a pretty consistent sleep routine. You're doing family dinners or family, like getting, going to school, which is a huge sense of community. You're spending time with your friends all day at school. You're, you might be participating in PE or a sports. So you're getting exercise you're probably outside at some point, like recess, you're doing things that are building a sense of mastery and pride, which a lot of the time is schoolwork, maybe it's a sport. And so all of those things are really setting you up for success. And as a parent, kind of reinforcing those and continuing to keep that schedule can be really powerful because all those things are supporting mental health. And because those schedules sometimes can be so overwhelming and crazy, it's also important to create space for things like mental health days. Or if your kid is like, I'm so overwhelmed. I don't want to go to practice today. Being like, okay, like, are you really not capable of going to practice today? Or can we cope through this? Can we think about taking time after practice to relax? So kind of keeping an eye out for things like burnout and feeling overwhelmed, because when we don't address those emotions, they come back bigger, more overwhelming, and more difficult to cope with. Other skills for parents, I mean, the number one thing is always validation. Mm -hmm. If there is a big change going on in your life, or you do think that your kid might be starting to struggle, I do think that therapy is always a great resource and therapy can look super different for everyone. Like sometimes it's just learning to be more effective with how you schedule out your school assignments and deal with stress. Or maybe it's like, I really just need to, like for me, sometimes at therapy, I've been like, I need to write a really good breakup text. Like, can you help me with that? And she's like, yes, I'm an expert on relationships. I can absolutely do that. So therapy doesn't have to be like going in there navigating all of your like childhood traumas and like exploring all those things it can just be dealing with the day in and day out of things that are challenging and that it's helpful to have like an expert opinion on so as a parent therapy could be an effective option and I did this interview with this parenting expert her name is Dr. Eliza Pressman and she has a podcast called Raising Good Humans which is a great resource Mm -hmm. and she does a lot of episodes with like parenting tips for younger kids, toddlers, that kind of stuff. But she said that she's not as worried about kids that are already in the treatment system. And she's more worried about kids that are almost like flying under the radar, that are Mm -hmm. struggling, but aren't clinically depressed, that are having conflict 
conflict with their parents, but it's not like derailing their life Mm -hmm. because there's no clinician checking in, keeping tabs on them, seeing what behaviors are abnormal, what belief systems could be problematic. And so I think that really speaks to how effective therapy and mental health care can be as a preventative measure, just to have another person in the loop, keeping tabs on things, because as a parent, you don't know what to look for. You shouldn't be expected to know what to look for. These people go to school for decades to become trained, to know what the warning signs are, to know how to address those. And so just having someone in the loop and having that therapeutic relationship established is so powerful because a lot of the outcomes are determined on that therapeutic relationship. So if you've established that therapy client relationship before you get into crisis mode, the probability that you will go to your therapist and be honest when you're struggling, the probability that you'll take their advice, that you will feel supported, is just monumentally higher. So that's a great preventative measure, something that can be a really great resource, even if it's like once a month, once every two weeks, mm-hmm. just again, yeah. starting to lay that foundation. And it's also like really great as a parent, like obviously this is your child's therapist. And I do want to mention like, because it's your child's therapist, if there is resistance, I think I always recommend having the kid help pick out a therapist. So pick out like your top five options and that like that you're okay with your child meeting with. And they'd be like, which one do you think would be a good fit? Mm -hmm. Or like, which two do you want to try an intro session with? And they feel like involved in the decision-making process. They feel more safe because they've chosen someone. And it's also super important to be clear with your child and the therapist should do this in the first session. Like this is your therapist, not your parents' therapist. I'm not going to tell them anything. I'm here to support you, not your parents. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. as a parent, you can also flag things and have a professional to check in on them. So my mom does this and it makes me so annoyed, but it's for the best. <laughs> Where she'll like email my therapist and be like, can you add this to the agenda this week? And my <laughs> therapist is always like, your mom said we should talk about this. And I'm like, oh my God. Um, and she's always very clear that like, I am your therapist first. What do you want to talk about? And because I started therapy with her when I'm 15, there is that line of like communication. And if there was something really bad that happened, she would have that insight. She would flag it. We would discuss it. So as a parent, if you're like, my kid is coming home and sleeping from 4 p.m. until the next morning, like that doesn't seem normal. Telling the therapist to like, can you just ask about that maybe? (laughs) Or like, there's like a really sketchy boyfriend in the picture being like, can you just see like, is any, like what's happening what's there? Can we get and she probably won't tell you, he or she probably right. won't tell you, but you have a professional that is using mm-hmm. their expertise that is evaluating the situation and keeping tabs on your child in a way that they probably wouldn't be as transparent with you. Mm-hmm. Maybe they would. That's always the goal is to have that communication. But if you don't, it's a great option. So I always recommend therapy, even as a preventative measure. Yeah, I think that's so interesting because it's kind of switched, at least I've seen in the mental health industry that it's becoming more about validating feelings and more about like having that communication versus when I grew up. I mean, my mom is a therapist, so I had a little bit of a different upbringing than some people, but I didn't feel like it was we we had that open communication where we had those like you know, this is how I'm feeling. And then she was like, okay, well, I understand how you're feeling. You know, she kind of had that a little bit, but I don't think it was very common. I think that's become a lot more obvious in people, you know, like with the shooting that just happened, a lot of people talking to their children about it. Like, how does that make you feel? How does that, even if it's not directly involving you, like, how do you feel about these situations? And so I love the way that you put that because I think it's important for parents who can get so wrapped up in their own routine and the routine of like every day being able to check in with their children to be like how are you doing like how are you actually feeling in this moment 
And you said that you were, you know, you you had all this happen to you when you were already in that crisis mode. But did your mom recognize something before that? Or what was that like one thing that kind of just put her over the edge? Because that's what I worry about is like you were saying kids kind of fly under the radar. Was there something that kind of like notified her to check in with you and to just make those appointments or what was it? Yeah. So it's interesting. I actually had been meeting with a counselor like a year prior and I don't always like include that in my treatment timeline because it was so not helpful. Like I would go there and we would do like sticker charts and I was like, like 13, 14, like I did not need to be doing sticker charts. And I got to the point where I would just like sit there and ignore her for an hour and run out the clock, which like, I feel so bad for the parents that they were like paid for that as a resource. And this poor woman who was like, what is this girl doing? But I was there for a year, like I was at a low in terms of self-esteem. I had so much like self-hatred. I was in like some pretty unhealthy romantic relationships. I had isolated from my friends. My sleep was completely irregular, which is one of the biggest things that leads to mental health Mm. vulnerability and challenges. And none of that was flagged. Like she wasn't like you are depressed or you have anxiety. I don't know if she didn't pick up on it or if she didn't really think it was abnormal or I didn't say that I was struggling. So that resource was in the picture. And so my mom was kind of aware that that wasn't working and that my behaviors weren't shifting. So I think that was one of the red flags that like she is getting some mental health support and things just seem to be getting worse. So like what's happening here that we're not seeing. Mm -hmm. I think the pediatrician was the first thing like in your yearly appointment, they will ask like mental health screening questions. They will check in on that. And that's a great thing that they they do implement. I wish that it was more frequent because like once a year is like a really long yeah. time. Were you comfortable answering those questions with your pediatrician? Because I worry that like some kids are like, yeah, I feel this way, but gosh, that's going to make me look mm-hmm. crazy yeah. or then I'm going to need help. Or like, what was that yeah. feeling? Do you remember that? It's funny. I mean, the first thing is like as a parent, Either hopefully your kid will kick you out of the room or you yourself take the initiative and leave because Mm. in the event that they don't feel comfortable saying that in front of you, if you leave and the clinician is at least clued into that, that's a good thing because then they can direct you to resources. My sister recently did her pediatrician appointment, did the mental health thing, and she had some responses that weren't like favorable. And now she's like, I hate our pediatrician. I hate our doctor. She's making me come back in three months to check in. So it's not always going to be the most effective thing. I think as far as like settings go, where kids are going to be super honest about how they're feeling, the pediatrician's office after they've done their eye test probably isn't the greatest. (laughs) Yeah. But it's like better than nothing. And so that's why having the relationship with your parent is so helpful. Having that therapeutic relationship is a preventative measure. Talking to the school counselor, just like having that as a person you can go to if you need to. But it definitely, I would say, is a thing that is difficult for kids to admit that they're they're struggling. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the DSM criteria is like pretty straightforward and it's clinical. It's like, Mm -hmm. is your sleep disrupted? Have you had an increase or a decrease in appetite and weight? Have you lost interest in things you used to enjoy? It's not like, are you feeling isolated? Mm -hmm. Are you feeling sad? It's like, are you presenting with these very clinical things? And that's easier to answer. It's like low hanging fruit rather than like, I have these deep belief systems that are leading me to be depressed. Like, so (laughs) that's kind of helpful. But as a parent, I would say having that open line of communication or having other adults in your community, in your life Mm -hmm. that have a relationship with your kid. So maybe that's a teacher, maybe that's a family friend, an aunt, a grandparent, 
where they feel comfortable going to them. And that's something that I didn't really have, but I do wish I would have, because Mm -hmm. especially if you are having conflict with your parents, having someone else you can go to and be like, this is so annoying. And it not being your teenage friends, that is huge. That is so helpful. And bonus points if it's someone that will then clue you in and be like, yeah, like today's a rough day, but I promise your kid is actually fine. Like, <laughs> she's just freaking out over her boyfriend or something like that. With the the sports industry and the children moving so many times, mm-hmm. I just with therapy, there's so many rules and laws that you can't have yeah. the same therapist from state to state to state. And so a yes. lot of that. A relationship that you just poured your soul out to for the therapy mm-hmm. sessions and that overall just making that relationship so close you have to start all over at the next place yeah. and so is there any resource that you know of that basically our industry could get a hold of to yes. maybe have a voice that's consistent throughout all of the moves that parents yes. could look into so there is a loophole and it's coaches <laughs> There are some therapists that will practice like licensed therapists. They've gone to school to be therapists and they will practice also as a coach Mm. because they can then work with their clients and continue to see them. Like I have one friend in college who continues to see her therapist, which I wasn't able to do because her therapist was working in a coaching capacity. So I think that's a loophole that is unique and potentially could be really helpful and effective. I think it depends on like if you are in maintenance phase versus like crisis phase. Like if you are in like full blown, like constantly conflict, your kid is falling apart, you're really worried. I don't know exactly what the differences are in a session of like working with a coach versus a therapist, but I feel like you would want to see someone in a therapeutic capacity. So they could refer you to a psychiatrist if they needed to, Mm -hmm. they could loop in their fellow clinicians. If you're in a state where psychologists can provide prescribed medications, they have that capacity. But if it's more like just like a maintenance phase, having that relationship, finding a therapist that also practices as a coach is really huge. There is this type of certification as a therapist where it's like a, a good number of states accept the certification. And it's especially like Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, like those states, in addition to some other ones, California isn't included. There's some other states that aren't, but depending on geographically where you are, like looking at that certification, I would just Google like what therapy license lets you practice Mm -hmm. in the most states Mm -hmm. and then seeing like, okay, like we're pretty consistently saying staying in like the Southwest or we're staying in like the East coast and all of these States are covered and then finding a clinician that is licensed through that. That's good. But yeah, yeah, it, it is really unfortunate. And it's something I struggled with switching therapists a lot because I did have like five or six therapists throughout my treatment journey. And there was points where it was so derailing to have built this relationship mm-hmm. and then feel like I was mm-hmm. just like, getting left and that someone was giving up on me when that really wasn't what was happening, but that's how it felt. And so there is sometimes when shifting therapists can be helpful. Like if you start your kiddo and therapy, like early on to work on, I don't know, like occupational skills or working through like intense tantrums when they're like in late elementary school, early middle school, or more effectively navigating stress relating to homework. And you start that in middle school, but they continue through high school. Like at a certain point, it can be helpful to have a therapist change. Like you are in a new season, what Mm -hmm. you're hoping to work Mm -hmm. on is different. So sometimes it's like a blessing in disguise, but I definitely agree with you guys that having that relationship over a long period of time is something that you want to optimize for if you can. Yeah. And then 
you've mentioned switching therapists a lot. So what are some things that you look for when you're looking for a therapist? Do you have like an intro call with them? Do you usually do an intro session or what does that look like for you? Yeah. So it kind of depends if you are someone that is like struggling with mental health challenges, you will oftentimes do like an actual like intake call. They'll kind of screen you for the different diagnoses. They'll kind of try to understand what are the problem behaviors? What are the belief systems going on? And really try and create like a clinical picture. If you are someone that's like, I just want to like, feel like I'm in a good spot. If something happens, you might not have that like two hour long intro call with all these screening diagnoses questionnaires. When I am looking for a therapist, which I just did this last year when I went to college. I have found that dialectical behavioral therapy, which is the residential program that I went to, is really effective. It's evidence-based. I find that the therapists that are DBT trained give me more like concrete advice, more concrete skills. It feels like more of a collaborative relationship. So I found that really works for me. So I'll find a DBT clinician. I tend to favor like psychologists over people that just have like their master's in social work because they've gone to a higher level of schooling. They've done more training. They've done more clinical practice. And also it kind of depends. Like for me, I'm someone who has like this pretty extensive mental health history So I want someone that is educated on that, has experience treating those kinds of presentations. But if you are someone that is like dealing with stress and your or um, anxiety and your biggest goal is to just have someone that you can talk to and feel good about that relationship, the certification and their level of training might not matter as much. So kind of understanding like where your priority is. But I always recommend like DBT or CBT informed therapists because those are really evidence based. And if it's for your kid, having them be part of the process. It's really like who you get a good vibe from, who you feel comfortable talking to. Can you explain what DBT and CBT mean yes. real quick? <laughs> yes, of course. So DBT stands for dialectical behavioral therapy, and it's actually a type of CBT. So CBT stands for cognitive behavioral therapy. So in CBT, you are addressing your cognitions, behaviors, and like actions. And so you are breaking the cycle of like when I'm feeling sad, I then believe that no one understands what I'm going through and I'm alone. So then I isolate. So you are kind of breaking up that triangle cycle in some way. Maybe it's instead of isolating, you go and interact with other people. Or when you feel isolated, when you start hearing that thought pattern, you're like, no, I am sad in this moment and this too will pass. And I'm supported and connected and not alone in my struggle. So you are breaking up that kind of cycle in some way to change the behavior, to change the thought, to change the feeling. And it's very effective. DBT is similar, but it stands for dialectical behavioral therapy. So you're still addressing the behaviors, but what's different is that you are, so DBT, you're still addressing these really problematic behaviors, but it's more skills-based. So you have this like giant book of skills that you learn and there are things like mindfulness, interpersonal effectiveness, emotion regulation, and distress tolerance. And it breaks it down to a really micro level. Like how do I advocate for my objective versus my self-respect versus the relationship? How do I cope with a intense crisis emotion versus improving my emotion regulation long-term. And so it's all these skills that teach you to cope with your mental health effectively. And if you are an effective, well-functioning human, you're probably already using those. It's just for people that have gotten so far away from that effective coping to get their needs met that you're kind of like brought back to that center and you relearn that. DBT, the other aspects that are important to mention, if you're doing it on an outpatient basis, you have phone coaching. So if you ever need support, you call your therapist, they coach you through how to use your skills in a certain situation. If you are an adolescent, you are likely doing individual 
family therapy and skills education. So it's like three different components to the therapy. And then your therapist is also sitting on a board with other DBT clinicians. So it's very collaborative. There's a lot of support, both so that you're getting the best treatment possible and DBT like really strongly believes that therapists need support too. Mm -hmm. And so that board setting kind of reflects that. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. I didn't know that there was a board. I think that a lot of people just think you you find a therapist and then you sit down and (laughs) get started. At least that's what I thought in the beginning. I didn't realize that there was so many different categories. I mean, I I mean, that's me just being very naive, but I feel like with all the information that you just provided, I think that that will just help parents and even us, even people without kids, be directed in the right way, in the the right direction just to find that help. And I am in a big advocate, and so is Brittany, about mental health and just wellness. And so, I mean, I have a therapist every place we go. And I that's why I was so curious for what that option should be to help others um, in the industry. But we always ask this question on the podcast to wrap it all up. And so if you could go back in time and tell your younger self, I know you're still very young, but if you could go back <laughs> farther and tell your younger self one thing that would help you now, what would you say? I mean, there are so many things. I think a concrete thing would have been learning the skills before I needed them, like getting good at coping with mental health challenges before I was in crisis mode. And that's where I like look to the school systems and I'm like, why don't we teach our kids how to deal with anger versus sadness versus shame? Like that would be so helpful to every single human. So a concrete thing would really be learning the skills. But I think, I mean, it would be so hard to tell myself this, but it it really does get better. And I really wasn't alone in what I was experiencing and it was possible to recover, but I so firmly didn't believe that was possible. But making that shift and being an active participant in my treatment gave me so much hope. It allowed me to actually see a shift and like utilize the resources being offered rather than just, again, going through the motions. But yeah, just really like the reminder that you're not alone. It does get better. It's possible to get better. Treatments are very effective. They work. Therapy has tons of evidence-based research studies. And even these things we talked about with like routine and getting outside and exercise and being in relationships and community, all of these things are shown to improve mental health, prevent mental health challenges, and just make you feel better. These things work. Like they really do. And even though they can be hard to implement, they are profoundly helpful if you stick with them, if you're consistent, and if you if you believe they're going to work, that also is is a is a key factor. Yeah. Awesome. I think yeah. that's so that's so interesting that you said that too because I have really bad anxiety, and so when I found out I had anxiety, I was like, no one understands this anxiety that I feel, yeah. and I truly truly felt that for my whole life. I felt like just my brother and my mom were the only people that ever had the same anxiety. But I've connected with so many people over the years, and I'm like, oh, you feel the exact same thing that I felt, and so I yeah. think it's really hard when you're growing up and you're a kid and you're feeling all these feelings I think it's just helpful to remind your children and you know if you're listening to this and you're a younger child as well that you know you are not alone and there are a lot of people that feel the exact same feelings that you feel even though sometimes it can feel lonely but we appreciate you coming on and sharing all of your amazing wisdom if anyone wants to locate your podcast and find out more information about that where can they find you at? Yeah, so it's on all the podcast platforms that you can imagine. Just search She Persisted. My website is ShePersistedPodcast.com. All the resources, information, links, anything you could want, and especially like 
DBT explaining that, breaking it down, why I love that so much. That's on the website as well. And it shows all the skills too, which I think is helpful. And then I'm most active on Instagram and TikTok at at She Persisted Podcast. Love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on and pouring your heart out and sharing your story. It was so educational. I know that I have learned so much personally. And we just thank everyone for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on More Than a Season Podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at More Than a Season Podcast for the latest updates. If you've enjoyed this episode, please download, subscribe, or leave us a review on your choice of platform. See you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.